أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الله نور السماوات والأرض مثل نوره كمشكات فيها مصباح المصباح في زجاجة الزجاجة كأنها كوكب دري يوقد من شجرة مباركة يوقد من شجرة مباركة زيتونة لا شرقية ولا غربية يكاد زيتها يضيء ولو لم تمسسه نار نور على نور نور على نور يهدي الله لنوره من يشاء ويضرب الله الأمثال للناس والله بكل شيء عليم. All praise is due to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We praise Him and we seek His help. And we seek refuge in Allah from the evil of our souls and the consequences of our actions. Indeed, whomever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guides, none can misguide. And whomever Allah misguides, none can guide him back to the straight path. I bear witness and I testify that there is no deity worthy of worship other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is his final prophet and his most perfect worshipper. Know my dear brothers and sisters that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has commanded us to fear him and to have consciousness of him. For he says, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu attaqu allaha haqqa tuqatih wa la tamutunna illa wa antum muslimoon. O people, O mankind, O believers, fear Allah azza wa jal and be conscious of him the way that he deserves and do not die except in the state of Islam. As to what follows, my dear brothers and sisters in Islam, if you look at the beautiful verses of the Qur'an, you find that the one verse that has received the most commentary in our entire 14 and a half centuries of history, the one verse that has generated more tafsir literature than any other verse is the famous verse of Surah An-Nur called the verse of light, Ayat An-Nur, which goes, Allahu nuru samawati wal ard. Allah is the light of the heavens and earth. This one ayah has generated treatises. Imam al-Ghazali wrote an entire booklet on it. It has generated so much differences of opinion and so much rich literature about how to understand it. And in today's brief khutbah, inshaAllah ta'ala, I want to summarize one 
basic understanding with the caveat that this is just one interpretation. There are many dozens of other, in fact, paradigms. How do we interpret this verse? But to know something is better than to know nothing. So in today's brief khutbah, I want to go over this verse so that inshallah ta'ala, we have a deeper appreciation of it. The verse, of course, we have all heard it. It is recited so frequently in the salawat. It's a very beautiful verse. Allahu nuru samawati wal ard. Allah is the nur of the heavens and earth. What does it mean that Allah is the nur of the heavens and earth? There are three interpretations given. Number one, Allah is the creator of the lights of the heaven and earth. In other words, Every light that you see, Allah gifted us it. And of course, this is something that is explicit in the Quran. Allah says in the Quran, Don't prostrate to the sun and moon, rather prostrate to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who created them. And Allah Azza wa Jal reminds us in the Quran, قُلْ أَرَأَيْتُ مِنْ جَعَلَ اللَّهُ عَلَيْكُمُ اللَّيْلَ سَرْمَدًا إِلَى يَوْمِ الْقِيَامَةِ مَنْ إِلَاهٌ غَيْرُ اللَّهِ يَأْتِيكُمْ بِضِيَاءٌ If Allah immersed you in perpetual darkness, which God besides Allah would give you light? And if Allah immersed you in perpetual light, who could bless you with darkness? Of His mercy, of His blessings, He has gifted you the night and the day. He has given you darkness and light so that you can be active in one and sleep in the other. So the first interpretation, Allah is the one who created the light of the heavens and earth. And this is a valid interpretation. All three are valid, by the way. The second interpretation, the nur here, Allahu nur samawati wal ard, is not the physical light of the eyes it is the spiritual light of the soul i.e. Allah guides people to the truth because the truth is called nur and the Quran is called nur and Islam is called nur so when Allah is the one who is saying he is nur samawati wal ard he is saying he is the one who guides people he is the one who guides people from darknesses of injustice darknesses of oppression darknesses of shirk to the light of Tawheed, to the light of the Kalima. So the second meaning of Allahu Nuru Samawati Wal Ard is that Allah is the one who blesses with the spiritual light of the soul. So the first is the physical light of the eyes, and the second, the spiritual light of the soul. Both meanings are valid, obviously. The third interpretation, Allahu Nuru Samawati Wal Ard. Allah is the nur of the heavens and earth. And of the names of Allah is nur samawati wal ard. And Allah is nur samawati wal ard. And we affirm it without thinking how. And this is also a correct interpretation because of the names of Allah is nur samawati wal ard. And we can call upon Allah and say, Ya nur samawati wal ard. Because of the names of Allah is nur samawati wal ard. So Allah is nur samawati wal ard in a manner we don't think about, nor are we obliged to question nor even can our brains and our intellect comprehend and this is something that is also proven in the Sunnah as well in the famous hadith of Abu Dhar al-Ghifari when our Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam was taken to Isra wal Mi'raj and he came back down Abu Dhar al-Ghifari the famous Sahabi he said the famous hadith in Sahih Muslim Ya Rasulallah Hal ra'ayta rabbak O Messenger of Allah did you see your Lord Allah did you see him did you see Allah it's a question on the minds of the Sahaba. When you went up there, you had a private conversation. Did you see Allah, Ya Rasulullah? And the Prophet ﷺ responded, Noor, Anna Ara. There was light. How could I see him? 
there was light. How could I see him? You know, we are so weak, subhanAllah. If we don't have light, we are blinded. And if we have too much light, we are blinded. That's why when they... Like when the uh, regimes want to torture somebody, they shine light into their eyes, right? Because then you're blinded. If you're driving on the highway, the other guy has a full beam. You get angry, I can't see anything. Too much light blinds us. We cannot see anything. When the Prophet went up there, he said there was light everywhere. What could I see? What light did he see? Did he see Allah Azza wa Jal? No. Because لا تدركوا الأبصار وهو يدركوا الأبصار. No eyes can encompass Allah. Allah encompasses eyes. We will not see Allah in this dunya. Our Prophet ﷺ said, اعلموا أنكم لن ترون ربكم حتى تموتوا. You will not see your Lord until you die in the akhirah. That is when we hope to see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. May Allah make us amongst those people. But in this dunya, in this life, we will not see Allah. What did our Prophet ﷺ see? Hadith in Sahih Muslim, another hadith tells us. Our Prophet ﷺ said in a long hadith, the phrase we're interested in, حِجَابُهُ النُّورِ لَوْ كَشَفَهُ لَأَحْرَقَتْ سُبُحَاتُ وَجْهِهِ مَنْتَهَا إِلَيْهِ بَصَرُهُ مِنْ خَلْقِهِ Allah's hijab is nur. Allah has a hijab. Allah has a hijab. This is in the hadith. But you see, the hijab that our sisters wear is a hijab that blocks light. It is a hijab that covers. It is a hijab that prevents light. Allah's hijab is light. Hijabuhun nur. Allah has taken a hijab. That hijab, that covering, it is light. And if he were to lift that covering, why has Allah taken a hijab? The hadith tells us, لَوْ كَشَفَهُ If Allah were to lift that hijab, لَأَحْرَقَتْ سُبُحَاتُ وَجْهِهِ The rays of light that come from his face. Subuhat, we say in Arabic, Subuhat is shams, the rays of the sun. Subuhat are the rays of light that come. So the rays of light that would emanate from his face would be so powerful, they would destroy everything that the eyes can see, which means the entire creation. And we know this from the story of Musa alayhi salam, right? قَالَ لَن تَرَانِي وَلَكِنْ انظُرِ الْجَبَلِ فَنِسْتَقَرَّ مَكَانُ فَسَوْفَ تَرَانِي فَلَمَّا تَجَلَّ رَبُّهُ لِلْجَبَلِ جَعَلَهُ the mountain cannot bear to see Allah Azza wa Jal. How can a makhluk see Allah? So as a mercy to the makhluk, Allah has lift, Allah has covered himself with a veil. And the veil is a veil of light. So when our Prophet went up to Isra al-Miraj and he spoke with Allah directly, he went to a place where he was closer to even two bows length. He went up to a place even Jibreel could not go. And he was in the presence of Allah. And he was in the presence of the hijab of Allah. But he did not see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He did not see Allah. That's why when Abu Dhar asked him, Did you see Allah? He said, What? Noor. Anna ara. There was light. How could I see him? And the light that he saw was the light of the hijab of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, Allahu nuru samawati wal ard. Allah is the nuru samawati wal ard. Now, of these three interpretations, all three are valid. However, it is the second one that plays the motif of the verse of Ayatul Nur. It is the second one in which Nur becomes symbolic of Allah's Hidayah, in which Nur is the Nur of the Iman and the Nur of the Qalb. Why? Because Ibn Abbas said, in Tafsir al-Tabari it is narrated, that this Ayah is a method, it's a parable. This Ayah is a metaphor, it's a symbolism of the Nur of Iman that Allah places in the Qalb of the Mu'min. 
So the whole ayah, Allahu Nur al-Samawati wal-Ard, is about what? It is the nur of Iman, the nur of the kalima, the nur of Islam, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala places in the heart of the believer. And this is the paradigm that I will give the khutbah from. Do realize, a footnote here, a lot of different paradigms are available. So many other tafsirs are given. In this khutbah, we will stick with what Ibn Abbas said and give uh, a basic level interpretation based upon the fact that this verse is a metaphor of the nur of Allah that he places in the heart of the believer. Based upon that, we move on. Three things are mentioned. The similitude of his light, meaning the light of Iman now, because that's what we're going with. The similitude of the light of Iman in the heart of the believer. Three things are mentioned. Mishkat. What is Mishkat? Mishkat is a crevice or a niche that is dug into the wall to put a candle. In the good old days when they didn't have any electricity, they would have candles, they would have lanterns, and to make the lantern maximize its benefit, they would have niches, crevices, put into the walls. And if you go to any old masjid in the world, you will find those crevices. They would put the candle there so that the light is reflected back, so that it is protected from the elements and the wind. That is the mishkat. The mishkat has the misbah. The misbah is the candle. The misbah is the lantern. The misbah is inside the, the zujaja. Zujaja is the, the, the crystal. Zujaja is the glass. By the way, notice advanced uh, balagha or Arabic here. Allah went from the outer to the inner to the middle. He didn't go from the outer to the middle to the inner. Allah went from the outer, jumped to the middle, and so, sorry, jumped to the, the, the center, then went out. And this is called iltifat or your mind is paying attention. It's not going the way that you would think it would go so that you pay more attention what's going on. So the point is Allah is saying there's three things here. There's a niche and then there's a glass and then there's a light or a candle inside the glass, right? This is the example. What do these three symbolize? Once again, there are 25 opinions, but for the sake of our khutbah, one of the main opinions, which inshallah seems very, very simple and straightforward. The mishkat is the chest of the believer, the chest. And the zujaja, the crystal, is the heart. And the candle is the iman that is in the heart okay so the candle represents the iman and the crystal or the glass represents the qalb and the mishkat represents the chest that is protecting the qalb and this is such a powerful metaphor because we believe that the repository of iman is in the qalb our prophet tapped his shoulder and he said his heart and he said this is where taqwa comes and allah says in the quran this does not blind the eyes, it blinds the heart that is in the chest. The repository of Iman is the Qalb, and the Qalb is in the chest. So, this whole metaphor is the metaphor of the light of Allah that is placed in the Qalb of the believer, and especially, number one, the Qalb of our Prophet The primary metaphor here is the Qalb of our Prophet even though at some level all the Qalbs of the believers can be included in this metaphor. So Allah is telling us that the heart is compared to a zujaja, it is compared to a crystal, it is compared to a glass. And what a powerful metaphor when Allah calls the heart glass. What a powerful metaphor. Why? Because glass comes in various shapes and sizes. Glass comes in many different varieties. You have glass, 
that is see-through and you have glass that is opaque and you have glass that gives you the opposite image you see yourself a mirror so too are the hearts of the people there are people whose hearts are pure you see through them their actions demonstrate their reality they're simple people good people you have those who they're a little bit different what they portray is different than what is inside of them so they have a covering and then you have al-iyadu billah we seek allah's refuge the pure munafiq his outer is completely opposite to his inner his outer has complete opposite to what the inner is as well some glass is fragile and some glass is hard so too is the heart some hearts are so fragile something small something trivial and the heart might break and other hearts are so hard some glass is so hard if you hit somebody he might die with that glass so too Allah is saying some hearts are so hard that they're harder than rock they're harder than rock no matter what you do the qalb never becomes soft so subhanallah Allah is comparing the qalb to a zujaja because zujajas comes in different shapes and sizes different varieties zujaja comes some soft some hard some see-through some translucent so too the qalb of the people is different not everybody is the same the pure the person the pure the heart the pure the iman will shine out and that that is the qalb of our prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam then Allah says the glass itself now Ibn Abbas said this metaphor is to the Prophet heart the primary reference here is the qalb of our Prophet the zujaja the glass itself it itself is like a star that is giving off light even before the candle is placed in the lantern the lantern is already a light. The lantern is so pure. The glass is so pure. The case is so pure. And this is the qalb of our Prophet before the Iman came down from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. His heart was already pure. His heart was giving out light even before the candle, the Quran came down. That is the first 40 years of his life, right? So as zujaja the light is sorry, the 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 the, the fragile glass itself. It itself is like a shining star. It doesn't need necessarily the light. The light's going to come more. But the heart is already pure. Now, the question arises, where is this lantern getting its oil from? Because every lantern, every candle has wax. Every lantern has paraffin. It has some oil. Where is the oil coming from? Allah says in the Quran, the oil is being extracted because every ca candle needs an oil the oil is being extracted from a shajara that is blessed it is neither east nor west it's not of this dunya this shajara this tree is not of this world it is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and one interpretation, which seems to be the, the, the very good one, this shajara is the shajara of Iman. Because Allah says in the Quran, Alam tara Allah gives the example of the shajara being La ilaha illallah, of the shajara being the Quran, of the shajara being Allah's revelation. So Allah is saying the oil of this lamp is coming from Allah's wahi, from the heavens. And that's why He is saying the tree is neither east nor western. You're not going to find that tree. It 
is an olive tree. Why olive? Because olive symbolizes Jerusalem and the majority of prophets of Allah walked and lived in Jerusalem. Hundreds of prophets of Allah. Jerusalem is associated with the land of prophets. Ard al-Mubarak, Ard al-Muqaddas. And so Jerusalem is represented here in the symbolizing that this is the wahi of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yuqadu min shajratin, mubarakatin, zaytunatin, la sharqiyatin, wa la gharbiyya. The oil that is being extracted is from the tree of Iman, the tree of the Quran, the tree of Allah's revelation. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Yakadu zaytuha yudhi'u, wa law lam tamsashu nar. The oil that is being extracted from this tree is so beautiful and blessed and pure that this oil is giving out light without the candle even touching it. The oil itself is giving out light. It doesn't need the candle. So now Allah has said there's the candle giving out light. There's the qalb that's giving out light. There's the oil that's giving out light. And this is the Quran and the qalb of the Prophet What's going to happen when the oil that is set alight and the heart that is alight with the nur of Allah, what's going to happen when the enlightened oil meets the enlightened qalb? Noorun ala nur. Light expounded to light. Light to the power of light. Light compounded with light. There's nothing but light. Noorun ala nur. You have the nur of the qalb of the Prophet You have the nur of the purity of his akhlaq. You have the nur coming from Allah, the Quran. All of this coming together. Then Allah says, Noorun ala nur. Light upon light. Yahdillahu li nurihi man yasha. Allah guides to his light. This goes back. Remember the three interpretations. We said number two seems to be the motif of this verse. Now we see why. Yahdillahu linurihi. Allah's hidayah. Allah's guidance to his light. Allah is the one who guides people to light. Yahdillahu linurihi man yasha. Allah guides people to this light, whomever he wants. And Allah gives parables to mankind. And Allah Azza wa Jal is aware of everything. This is a beautiful metaphor of Iman in the heart of the believer. It is such a powerful metaphor. It should make us think about this reality. And we conclude this first khutbah by reminding ourselves that in fact we want to achieve this light. We want this light in this dunya and in the akhirah. We want light upon light. We want us to have this light in this dunya and that light is Allah's hidayah. And we want to have this light in the qabr because our Prophet wasallam said إِنَّ هَذِهِ الْقُبُورِ most of the graves are dark and dank. And one of the du'as of the Prophet Oh Allah, nawwir quburana. We want qabr to be munawwar. We want light in the qabr. And on the day of judgment, all light will be extinguished. And then Allah Azza wa Jal will tell the people, go to Jannah. How will they go to Jannah and cross the Sirat when there is no light? Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala says in the Quran, that they themselves, that, that the, the believers will see Their bodies will start giving out light And they will see light as far as they can see and they will say, Rabbana atmim lana nurana lana. Oh Allah, perfect our light and allow us to be forgiven. So we want nur. How do we get nur? Much can be said simplistically. Again, time is always limited and against us. Number one, the biggest source of nur, the verse itself tells us, the Quran. The Quran, because Allah calls it the shajarat al-mubarakat that's the Quran. 
That's the number one source of nur. Reading the Quran, memorizing the Quran, acting upon the Quran, being associated with the Quran and the people of the Quran. That is the number one source of nur. Number two of the sources of nur is salah and sadaqah. This will also give us nur on the day of judgment and in our qabr. Salah and sadaqah. Number three, specifically a number of things have been mentioned as being linked with nur and of them is coming to the masajid for salat al-fajr and salat al-isha. Our Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Bashir al-masha'ina fi dhulam bin nur al-tami yawm al-qiyamah. Give glad tidings to those who are walking in the darkness of the night and the days and the early mornings. Those who come to the darkness, in the darkness to the masjid, give them glad tidings that they will have full light on judgment day. Praying Fajr in Jama'ah at, uh, in the masjid, praying at Isha when it is all dark, everybody's going to sleep and you make it a point to want to come pray Fajr. Now obviously brothers and sisters, let me ask you honestly, the one who comes prays Fajr in the masjid, what is his level of Iman going to be, right? It's a symbolism here. Do you think the one who prays Fajr in the masjid will then be backbiting and stabbing others throughout the day? The one who prays Fajr in the masjid has established a level of Iman, a level of Taqwa. The point is, to summarize, every good deed is a type of nur. Every good deed is a type of nur that will benefit us in this dunya and in the qabr and in the akhirah. And of course, making dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to perfect our light. That is also one of the ways we can perfect our light. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless me and you with and through the Quran. May he make us of those who is verses they understand and who implement his halal and haram throughout our lifespan. I ask Allah's forgiveness. You as well ask. For he is the Ghafoor, the Rahman. Alhamdulillah, the Wahid, the Ahad, the Samad, the Lam Yalid, the Lam Yulad, the Lam Yakullah, the Kufwan Ahad, the Badu. Dear Muslims, let me break away from the first part of the khutbah and just remind myself and all of you that the incidents of the last 15-20 years across the globe, they should be a source of concern and alarm for all of us. And I say this not to be the bearer of dreadful news or to make us a sense of dread or gloominess. That's not our sharia, no. I say this so that we should be prepared if and when situations change. Look at what is happening across the ummah. Look at the situation in Burma, in Kashmir, the Palestinian situation has gone from bad to much worse in so many ways. Look at what is happening in the ancestral homeland of myself, many of us in India right now. The rise of this neo-fascist, anti-Islamic strain across the globe. In the Western world, presidential candidates are being elected on the stage and platform of Islamophobia. This is unprecedented. Politicians across Europe in my own land of America, this is now a slogan they use, Islam hates us. And they're elected because of this sentiment. Dear Muslims, we never have the luxury of living aloof lives. But especially now, especially now, the situation seems very tense across the globe. We, our religion, our faith is the center of the news in almost every single incident taking place. Much can be said, time is always limited. I simply want us to be cognizant and aware that things are happening. 
situation is changing. So many lands, five, ten years ago, were at peace, and now they're in civil war. Syria is the prime example. Yemen is another example. No one could ever imagine a decade ago that Syria would be the situation it is in now. Over a million and a half killed, over 10 million expelled. May Allah have mercy on the people of Syria and all of the Muslimin across the world. Who could have imagined this is going to happen? Nobody could have predicted this. The Syrian people were living relatively different lives than they are living now. They would never have imagined. What guarantee do we have that what is happening there is not going to happen at other places in the world? Dear Muslims, we never have the luxury of being disconnected from Allah. But especially now, how can we be blind to what, the, what is happening in the world today? How can we pretend as if everything is casual and, 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 and normal? This is not normal. And the way things are heading, Allah knows best. It might get much, much, much worse before it gets better. Allah knows best. We ask Allah's protection. But the way things are heading, it does not bode everything positively. But, dear Muslims, never lose hope. My purpose here is not to bring dread and gloom. My purpose here is to bring awareness. To bring a sense of cognitive recognition that this is not normal. We need to do something. Now, what do we need to do? That is a whole long topic and whatnot. But to, to just give you some main points. First and foremost, the most important thing we need to do in the face of all of what's happening in the world. Number one, we need to establish a connection with Allah in our personal lives. In tansurullah yansurkum. If you do not have a connection with Allah, and if I do not have a connection with Allah, then there is no point in life itself. If we have Allah, alhamdulillah, we don't need anything else. And if we don't have Allah, then we have nothing. If we have Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, alhamdulillah. So we need to get our rituals in order. We need to be saying our salawat, our adhkar, our Quran. We need to start raising the bar of our own religiosity make sure that we have enough spiritual awareness make sure that we have enough iman and taqwa to face the years ahead of us because without that Allahul mustahan there is no hope number two after that we need to start being aware of what's going on start understanding don't live aloof lives this is our ummah our prophet sallallahu said if one finger of the ummah of the body of the ummah is in hurt the whole body is in pain we don't just have a finger, we have a major hemorrhage across our entire body. We have cuts and wounds that might be deemed mortal, but they are not mortal because Allah Azza wa will protect the ummah. We're always going to be here until judgment, alhamdulillah. But any other doctor, if he were to look at the status of the ummah, they might give the verdict, khalas, that's it, yani the end is near. It's not near because Allah will protect this ummah until judgment day, alhamdulillah. We know this, but look at what is happening. Be aware, start following the news, understand that things are changing. And then number three, and I'll leave it vague and open because again, every one of us has a talent. Every one of us has a passion. We need to do something with our talents and passion for the ummah. Whether it is social media, whether it is social work, whether it is volunteering in the masjid, we need to do something, have a higher purpose in life than just going to work and earning money and eating and drinking and procreating. We are not animals, we're human beings. Have a higher goal. Don't just have a goal to live for the sake of living. Do something for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that will be eternal now what that is 
only you know because you have talents I don't have and I have talents you don't have. We all have different talents. Every one of us can contribute positively to the ummah. Don't just think there's only one thing that I can do. No, every one of us. Look at the Sahaba. They had Abu Huraira who was not a warrior. He was a memorizer of hadith. They had Khalid ibn al-Walid who barely memorized the Jews of the Quran but what he did for the ummah, the Quran could not do. They had Ubay ibn Ka'ab. They had so many of the Sahaba. They had Hassan ibn Thabit who was a poet. He was not a person who did anything. No money, no jihad. That's not his. He was a poet, an artist and he helped Islam in ways that even Abu Bakr and Umar could not do. Everyone has a talent. Find your talent. Nurture that talent and then under the umbrella of the ummah contribute something so that inshallah ta'ala you can say on judgment day, Oh Allah, I couldn't do X, Y, Z, but I could do A, B, C. This is what I did. This is the talent you gave me, O oh Allah. This is what I did. And perhaps, inshaAllah ta'ala, perhaps in that will be our salvation, will be our protection from uh, the, the, the problems of Qiyamah and also will form meanings in our lives because that's what life is all about. Contributing positively for the higher cause. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless us with on all that we do. I'm making dua, so say ameen. O oh Allah, we ask that you do not leave any sin of ours except that you forgive it, O oh Allah. And any sickness of ours except that you have cured it, O oh Allah. And any disease of ours except you have eliminated, O oh Allah. And any debt of ours except that you have repaid it, O oh Allah. And any missing person except that he comes back safely, O oh Allah. O oh Allah, we ask that you bless this ummah and protect this ummah, O oh Allah. O oh Allah, make this ummah blessed and peaceful, O oh Allah. And protect it from all those who desire for it evil, O oh Allah. O oh Allah, make us all instruments of good, O oh Allah. O oh Allah, allow others to see the beauty of Islam through us and our actions, O oh Allah. O oh Allah, allow us to be keys that open up doors of good in front of others, O oh Allah. And O oh Allah, we seek refuge from being keys that open up doors of evil, O oh Allah. O oh Allah, bless us and our children after us with the love of the Quran, O oh Allah. O oh Allah, allow our children and grandchildren to pray regularly. Make them love the Quran, O oh Allah. Make them love the Salah, O oh Allah. Make them love Tawheed, O oh Allah. O oh Allah, protect our children and their children after them from the environment that we are in, O oh Allah. Anta Dear Muslims, Allah has advised you with an advice that he began with himself and then he commanded the angels to do themselves and then he told us to do it ourselves. For he says in the Quran, يعظكم لعلكم تذكرون اذكروا الله العظيم يذكركم واشكروه يزد لكم ولا ذكر الله تعالى أكبر وأقم الصلاة لا يزال الخير حيا لا يزال إن في الدنيا سلاما وظلال أخبر الأيام أنها في وصال قم بنا وانظر لآيات الجمال قم بنا وانظر لآيات الجمال